<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I'm Josh Hammer. Welcome back. We will be joined soon by the great Glenn Beck. Glenn is the founder of The Blaze and, of course, a serial entrepreneur in the conservative media space. But before we get to Glenn, we want to come back and tie a bit of a loose end. So on an earlier podcast episode, we introduced you to the trials and tribulations of my good personal friend, Ilya Shapiro. So Ilya is a lawyer who spent many years with the Cato Institute, which is Washington, D.C.'s leading libertarian think tank. And then he switched, or at least he tried to switch, to Georgetown University Law Center's Center for the Constitution, where he was supposed to start on February 1st of this year as the new executive director working with Professor Randy Barnett in that capacity. The problem was that less than a week, if I recall, before he was set to start, he issued a tweet criticizing President Joe Biden's commitment at that time to specifically nominating a black woman to the United, to, to the United States Supreme Court. That black woman, of course, ultimately ended up being Katanji Brown Jackson, who will be our next Supreme Court justice. Ilya's tweet, by his own phrasing, was phrased inartfully. He ended up deleting it after an hour. And this the vicious, vicious woke campaign came to destroy him. This, the, this is one of the worst instances of the woke mob in recent memory. And of course, there were many, many, many examples, unfortunately, in this space to choose from. Long story short, Dean William Train of Georgetown Law Center spent four months Four months on a sham investigation as to whether Ilya's tweet, which was again up for less than an hour before he deleted it, violated university policy, notwithstanding that Georgetown still has a purported commitment to academic freedom and free speech. At the end of this four-month sham Star Chamber-esque investigation, they basically concluded that they couldn't fire him because he wasn't an employee yet. Now, that could have been decided by looking at a calendar within 10 minutes of this whole sordid affair getting started. But no, they did this sham process because of course they wanted to wait till the school year was over and the kids were out at their summer associate jobs. They couldn't be harmed by his speech. So they let him off on a technicality. He wrote a Wall Street Journal op-ed last week celebrating that technicality. And then this week, he issued a formal resignation letter. It's an excellent, excellent letter, and he explains why it is that he cannot work there. Because as he says in the letter, the climate that the dean of this law school has put in place has made it such that there is a perpetual target on his back and that he simply will not be able to engage in his lecturing, in his scholarship, in his capacity there as a law professor, because he knows that because of the intense rhetoric and the very sham nature of the investigation to begin with, that it's only a matter of time before the woke mob decides to rear its ugly head again and then comes to put his head on a plate in front of it. So rather than wait for that inevitable moment due to the culture that the dean has implanted, he's just going to get out there. So we'll see what Ilya Shapiro does next. 
He has another op-ed in the Wall Street Journal this week talking about his exit. He has not announced what he's doing next. But from my perspective, two things come immediately to mind. First of all, I've known Ilya for years. I know him very personally. He is fundamentally a libertarian-leaning guy, okay? He is not a right-wing, fire-breathing culture warrior. He literally wrote an amicus brief in the 2015 Obergefell versus Hodges same-sex marriage case, urging the court to constitutionalize same-sex marriage. So he's not exactly a right-wing culture warrior. So if you little mini Robespierre's on law school campuses cannot deal with Ilya Shapiro, how the hell are you expected to deal with a fire-breathing culture warrior? Anyone really kind of just culturally or socially right of center is just totally beyond me. The second thing that it shines a spotlight on, though, is it belies the entire idea that we can ever sufficiently make cultural and institutional inroads back to reclaim the universities whatsoever. The universities in America are done. They are done. Give up on that fight while we still can. Strip them of credentialing, defund them to the very last penny. We have to give up on this game before it is too late. But let's take it to a quick commercial break. On the other side, like mentioned, we're going to be joined by the great Glenn Beck. Stay with us. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. So this week, it is truly a pleasure to be joined by a titan of conservative media, really just a titan of broadcast media, more generally speaking, I would say, and also a profoundly good man who I had the pleasure of getting to know a little bit back when I used to live in Dallas, Texas, and go to the Blaze Studios. And that, of course, is the man himself, the entrepreneur, Glenn Beck. So, Glenn, thank you so much for joining this week. I really do appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. It is an equal pleasure for me to talk to you. I think you're one of the brighter minds around. Well, it's, it's exceedingly kind. It really does mean a lot to me on a very genuine level. So thank you for that. So, Glenn, I do want to speak to you a little bit about some of what's happening in the world. Obviously, I want to kind of drill down on Russia, Ukraine, this $40 billion aid package. Of course, in, in your state of Texas, there's just horrific mass shooting in Uvalde. I want to talk to you a little bit about that as well. But, you know, you've been in this game a long time. I mean, you're a very deep, sophisticated man. I'm sure you have some kind of higher level thoughts about just where our side is right now, like our, our sense of identity, our sense of purpose. You know, Trump obviously is no longer in, in, in the White House. So why don't we just talk, give me kind of your sense a little bit as to where you think conservatives are. What is our sense of identity right now as conservatives in the year 2022? I think um, we're in trouble. Um, I don't think that has been solved. Um, you know, you still have the John Cornyns and Mitch McConnells that are carrying the old flag that is meaningless and worthless. Um, you then have uh, a group of people that I think uh, love America and, um, uh, you know, support freedom, et cetera, et cetera. But they're not uh, necessarily bound by the Constitution if it's our side. It's kind of like um, uh, kind of like the Democrats, you know, they'll they love the filibuster, 
unless they're in power, then they want to get rid of the filibuster. Um, and then there are those principled um, conservatives that are also constitutionalists um, that see the real problem and are fighting for real truth, uh, real justice, and the actual American way. And I don't know how, how it's going to land. I, I just know that what's coming this fall is going to be, and I'm not talking about the election, is going to be so severe um, that it will shake people to the core. And uh, I don't know where we land. Well, what are you rooting for? I mean, where do you hope we land? I hope we land where America has always been. And that is that we see what is out there and we recognize um, that we are fighting absolute radicals that hate the country, um, who are destroying our country in every way, using energy and everything else now to fundamentally transform us. Um, I hope we wake up to it and say we don't want any part of that even from our own side. We don't want executive orders. We don't want uh, somebody to uh, come in and teach them all a lesson. Uh, we need to uh, look to our higher power and we need to look to uh, our higher selves and stick to uh, the Constitution, the founding documents, the spirit of 76, and be worthy of of God's miracles to pull us out of this because it's going to take a miracle. I'm actually really happy that you spoke there about God because one of the ways that I've kind of viewed you over the years, I'm kind of coming up with this term in real time. I kind of view you as somewhat of an ecumenical theologian for conservatism. I, I kind of view you as one mm. of the, as one of the guys who is just routinely trying to ground our side and try to ground us in so far as sense of purpose and mission. That's kind of why I wanted to start off with a sense of identity. Wow. And I thank you. For, yeah, honestly, thank you. For yeah, no, that oh, of course, of course, of course. I feel like I failed on that. But, but let's let's pick up on that a little bit, though, because there are a lot of people on our side who, rightfully speaking, I, I would say, are just totally fed up, just totally fed up, not just with the left, who is as vicious as ever, obviously. We're now almost four years after the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation saga, but they're also fed up with the rank incompetence from, from our own side, of course, from folks like, oh. like Majority Leader McConnell. But how much of our own side's kind of pseudo nihilism do you think is due to kind of the, the a decreased sense of kind of god and um, and our religious underpinnings do you do you know what i'm saying do you oh sense that, that our side is getting to a little too secular and nihilistic oh my gosh yes i think all of our problems stem from those we don't know who we are anymore and i mean you know where our first citizenship comes from you know we are citizens of a of a higher kingdom first and we violate that all the time we don't even recognize it and you're not going to keep your second citizenship if you've lost your first um and then we we have it's so strange we either have people that believe in god that i'm not worried about it because god's going to take care of it or they you know, believe in God, but then they say, you know, but we have to do it. I mean, we need some strong leader. Well, wait a minute. No, it's neither of those things. It is believe in God and that belief will give you confidence 
if you are walking truly in his path, that will give you confidence to have the courage to do the needed things. But the needed things are not coming from strong men. Um, and we have this, this I guess, uh, shallow belief in God um, or a misunderstanding of God right now on the right. And, and how do we, it's a loaded question, obviously, but how do we go about recovering a, a, a sense of godliness and a sense of just our greater place in the grand scheme of things on the right? Because it, it is so easy, and, and I know you know this, but it is so easy to just get torn up in the Twitter mayhem, the daily fisticuffs, the cable news headlines. Uh, do you, what, sh- what should the audience do? Like, what should our listeners and viewers do as far as just trying to kind of cool down, care a little bit less about kind of the daily food fight and just ground ourselves a little better? Um, you know, it's really hard for me to say because I, I mean, I'm in the daily fight. I have to, you sure. know, my, my first two hours, you know, starting at about 530 in the morning in my office chair um, is nothing but deciding which story is important enough to make it onto the radio show. And um, that is awful every day. I hate that. Um, because we have to stay informed. We have to know what's going on. But we also need to stay away from the actual bloodbath fights, you know, where it's just sport. Um, that, that means nothing. And I think most of America is arguing the wrong things. They're, they're not seeing the forest. They're only seeing the trees. And, you know, we either, we either have to calm ourselves down and root ourselves back into the traditions and the beliefs that created this country, or it's going to happen for us. And um, I, I think that, I think that reckoning is coming starting this fall. I, I think people are going to be stunned at uh, what life is like in America and the rest of the world. Yeah, no, I do, too. No, I I really do think it's going to be a real ballot box reckoning. But, you know, one leader who. No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. I am not talking about that. I'm talking about American America being humbled because of our what we've done with um, the economy, what we've done to our dollar, what we've done to gas, what we've done to energy. Um, we are going to be humbled because there are going to be people that are hungry in our own country. There are going to be people that are in middle class now that are, are how are you going to get to work? They can't afford the gas. Uh, they can't afford the grocery shopping. The, the um, I think it was the, I want to say FDA, but it's not. Um, US, USDA just came out. And um, they said that we're expecting all of the inflation that we have had the last two years, double that. Wow. And that's what you have in September. Oh, God, that's horrifying. (laughs) Um, And it's going to humble us. I mean, we will return to God because it's either return to God or the left's plan is turn to them. The new God government. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I have no reason to think that it's not going to be as bad as as you say it is. I obviously hope and pray that it is not. I mean, one Me thing too. one thing that leaps off the page is, I mean, because I, I, I see all these domestic woes, these domestic problems just as clearly as you do. I mean, you know, I'm obviously in the fight as well. I, I'd be curious for your take, though, kind of shifting gears just a little bit. That all these domestic woes does kind of accentuate for me, at least from my personal perspective, the the dubious nature of this recent forty billion dollar foreign aid package to Ukraine. And I'm not I I I've since day one said that the United States is better off with an independent Ukraine that is not swallowed up by by Russia. Yep. But I'd be curious if you agree with me that this is just a misplacement of priorities given everything happening here on the home front at this oh present my time. Uh, yeah, unless there are you know, at least 400 accountants on it. Um, I'll bet you, I'll bet you more than half of that just kind of disappears in the ether. God only knows where though that money has gone. Um, we have our own things. You know, I've, I've said this about the border for years, you know, as horrible as it may sound and as people would say, well, I wouldn't do that. If you're actually at the Titanic, and you're in a lifeboat, and you have four seats left, the worst thing you can do is go back into the sea of people because they'll swamp you and everyone will die. We've done this with the border. We're doing this with our spending. We're now doing this with Russia. I have to tell you, I'd love your opinion because something's wrong with this in Russia. Something is very, very wrong. I don't know if it's uh, an opportunity to kill people that were, you know, uh, dirty from the last 10 years. I don't know if it's an exchange of money. Uh, I I don't know if it's all 100 percent our intentions are honorable and honest. I don't know if we're fighting it because we need to show the world that we, you know, we're not the country that just did Afghanistan. But we should not be there. We should be helping them. But. In limited ways um, and not giving, you know, the federal budget for defense in Russia is $65 billion a year. We've given them $58 billion now. What? Look, I totally agree with you. I mean, the funny thing to me is, you know, U.S. foreign aid to Israel gets so much outsized political attention every year, it seems like. And, you know, the Israelis do get, a, I think, a larger percentage of, of U.S. aid than most of the foreign countries. But that number usually ends up being about three to four billion a year. So just this one yeah. aid package, which was passed outside the scope of the normal appropriations process that was passed in the middle of the night in classic congressional fashion, was roughly 10 times that, 10 times that. We, we are we are looking at something where nobody's really going to track this money. You'll hear, you watch, in a year or so, if we have even time to report on it, they'll say, they lost $10 billion. We don't know where it is. Um, You you will hear that. It it doesn't make any sense. We knew there were going to be food shortages as it was before Russia went into Ukraine. We are looking at probably the next eight weeks we'll decide What's going to happen if if Russia doesn't open up the southern port in eight weeks, all of that wheat will rot on the ground that will cause massive starvation, especially in Africa. And you're going to see the military have to go down to hot spots in Africa 
to keep those governments in place because starving people will revolt. Uh, it's it's insane what we've done. Insane. Yeah. Yeah, no, it really is insane. I, I think you and I are on the same page on this one. But let's take us to a quick commercial break. We're joined this week by the great Glenn Beck. Stay with us. We will be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Glenn, I want to follow up on Ukraine because... You know, I'm thinking back to when I was living in Dallas and going in into the Blaze studios regularly. And it was kind of around the time of the first Trump impeachment is what I'm thinking of here when Zelensky, of course, is in the headlines for a totally different reason. And I'm kind of thinking back to your famous chalkboard. I think that you were on to Ukraine way before other folks were. And I say that in kind of a, in kind of a broad, sweeping sense of the term onto. But this is a very corrupt, troubled country in its own right. So I, I, I well, let's give him a check for fifty eight billion dollars. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> um, so what is your read on Ukraine as a country more generally? What have you learned over the years? Because you've really closely followed what's going on there. So it is one of the most corrupt countries in the world. And that's saying something. It's sitting next to Russia. Um, it's politics. Absolutely corrupt. Zelensky. I'm not convinced that he's. Um, you know, on the up and up. He's a good television actor. Um, he might be on the up and up. It's very brave of him to stay. It was really refreshing to see somebody stay and not take the billions in cash on a helicopter and fly away. Um, uh, I think the people of Ukraine are good and unique. The Russians have done horrible things to that country over the years. I mean, the Holodomor alone is yep. is reason for us to help them. Of course, they don't trust Russia. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, I'm split. The government, I, I don't have any, I don't have a, a single horse in the government race. And I would really like us to, you know, stop being in everybody's business. Um, and I don't like any country that gives so much control to George Soros and his minions. Um, I don't trust them at all. However, the people did not deserve this and the people should not live under uh, Putin's rule and his iron fist. But so what do you do? Yeah, no, agreed on all counts. I mean, what do you do, I think, is the million dollar question. But look, foreign policy going back a long time has been an issue that conservatives, people on the right, on our side of the aisle, so to speak, to have just, you know, repeatedly and famously sparred and disagreed about. You know, if you could sum up where you think the American rights foreign policy should be going forward. How, how would you sum it up? What would that look like? What it should be? What it should be, yes. Um, I think it should be um, the, the president should have the ability for the first couple of weeks to declare war. Uh, and then he's got to go in front of Congress and they have to pass a war resolution. Otherwise, all the money stops. It should be that way all the time. 
um, um, the the wars that we get involved in, it should be for our true safety and interests only. I, you know, we love to help people out. Well, you know, you know who rescued uh, a ton of people in Afghanistan and actually pulled things off on the ground and and took the first airplane before any of the refugees were uh, got onto the plane. The State Department asked us to fly our special forces on our charitable plane to get them out of there before we could take any refugees. So there's lots of things that Americans can do on their own to help. You know, there's lots of people that, you know, if encouraged, would go over and fight with Ukrainians. And I think that's good. And I think we can help allies uh, to some degree. But this, uh, giving them this kind of money um, when there's no real no real accounting for it uh, being had. We don't know where it's going. Um, and this this weird chest thumping where, oh, yeah, hey, did you hear? We're, we at the CIA, we gave them the coordinates to uh, to sink their flagship. Oh, yeah, I, it's so bizarre. Yeah, awful. awful. So bizarre. We should only go into war um, if it is in our direct interest. Um, I don't believe that we should be involved in anybody else's business. What made America so loved all around the world is we minded our own business. You know, the, the, the George Washington crossing the Delaware, that painting, that wasn't for us. That was painted by a German for the Germans in, I think, 1849, the year after Marx released his um, uh, his manifesto. So it was Germans saying, wait, 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 don't go with Marx. Look at what America is doing. Everybody's in the boat. There's an Indian, a black man, a farmer, a president, a woman. They're all in the boat together and they're rowing in the same direction because it's an idea. Okay. The Statue of Liberty, France didn't give it to us because they liked us or they, you know, hey, happy birthday. Here's a really awkward present that you'll never be able to you know, have in the closet because we're always coming over and we'll say, where's the giant statue? They didn't give it to us as a gift. They did it because they were having the Paris Commune riots and they needed a way to convince their own people that America had the right idea. That's in a time when we're not involved in everybody's right. politics. That's that's let people see us actually walking the walk and talking the talk and being the great nation that we've always been, even though we've never mastered it, we always, always were walking towards freedom. Um, and people noticed, but when you go to shove it down everybody's throat and get involved in everybody's business, they hate you. Of course they hate you. Yeah, for what my my money's worth, I think one of the most underappreciated foreign policy thinkers in U.S. history is actually John Quincy Adams, the lesser known son, of course, of President John Adams. And the late Angelo Cotevilla posthumously, I believe, published a, a, new, a new book on John Quincy Adams. But he has this wonderful quote from 1821, where I believe he was actually he was secretary of state to James Monroe at the time. 
He said, quote, America goes not abroad in search of monsters to destroy. She is the well-wisher to the freedom and independence of all. She is the champion and vindicator only of her own. And to me, that's just, it's, that's just pure common sense, exactly honestly, right. is, is what that exactly. is. But yeah, I mean, and you know what? We would have far less. Why are we over in the Middle East taking their oil? Why are we doing that? Why are we buying all their oil? Why? 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 We have everything. This land is so rich and so blessed. We have absolutely everything we need here. Take care of yourself first, not in a selfish way, but because you can be a lifeboat to others if you are healthy. But you can't go in and swamp the boat. We should be healthy first and then charitable towards all with malice toward none that literally cannot be a more perfect transition because i was literally actually about the transition to the man who said those famous words in in the proration of his second inaugural address which of course is, a, is abraham lincoln um and that literally is uncanny how good the timing there that was because one of the one of the things that i've actually always loved about you glenn i think the first time i met you about four and a half years ago now in your office in Dallas, I remember this great painting of Abraham Lincoln. I'm not sure if you still have it in the office, but I, re I remember it quite well. And, and you know, personally, I'm, I'm born on Lincoln's birthday. He's actually been my favorite hero. Oh, wow. He's been my, been my favorite hero, my favorite figure in American history, literally since I was first, second grade. I mean, old enough to know who the man was. Um, I, 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 what does Lincoln mean to you? And, and what can kind of his vision, his insights and kind of the timeless nature of who we are as a people and our sense of purpose uh, does Lincoln play a role in kind of how you view the modern landscape, the modern world? Oh, my God. Oh, yes. Um, Abraham Lincoln for several topics. By the way, you have to come back because uh, I just um, purchased to preserve uh, the uh, key to the presidential box at Ford's Theater. Wow. From that night, um, his bloody cuff that was cut off him um, at night. Uh, I have his, his personal Bible. We have all kinds of stuff. Wow, from Abraham Lincoln. Wow. I can see it. But Abraham Lincoln is such an important figure in, uh, uh, in today's world for a couple of reasons. First of all, he knew what Bonhoeffer knew. He knew what Gandhi knew. He knew what Jesus knew. Malice toward none, charity toward all. That's what scares me about the conservative movement. I don't think you, we understand this. We are up against the wall. We've been had our heads kicked in and uh, we have to look. Martin Luther King and Abraham Lincoln were right. We have to look for um, reconciliation. And people will say, how do we reconcile with people who hate our guts? You don't necessarily reconcile with them, but we do rec uh, reconcile with the what? 60% of our neighbors who don't vote like us, 70% that are not crazy. They're just, I don't know, under this spell of some sort by these radicals. Abraham Lincoln, let me give you two, two things. One, um, his approach is not to win. His approach was to do the right thing. And as God shows us the right um, he will protect it and he will help us. That's how we were founded. That's how he won the Civil War. Be good people and people will flock to that and you will eventually win. The second thing that 
I'm, I'm just starting to do some research um, on these two. Woodrow Wilson um, and Abraham Lincoln, both transformative figures, um, and both come from the same kind of uh, place from their childhood. Both hated their fathers. Um, Woodrow Wilson, because his father was a preacher um, and, you know, not necessarily a, a good guy, but, you know, Woodrow Wilson took that and it ate at him his whole life. And he became dark and twisted and he hated religion and he hated people like his father. And when he got to Princeton, he said, the job of a university is to make a man the most unlike his father as possible. So he took his childhood and it destroyed him and everything in his wake. Abraham Lincoln, his childhood was horrific. His father would beat him, beat his mother, uh, was horrible drinker. They lived out in the middle of nowhere. Um, when his mother died, Abraham Lincoln's mother died. Abraham Lincoln is just left. His father just leaves. And so now Abraham Lincoln has to spend like six months without with him being the oldest. And I think he was seven or eight um, and left in the cabin in the woods. He had to go and find his own food for him and his sister. And then his dad comes back and all he says is, this is your new mom. And he had married somebody. Um, and Abraham Lincoln, when his dad came into the room, that first time he met his, quote, new mom, he hid behind her skirt because he was such a monster to Abraham Lincoln. Wow. She taught him how to read. She was the influence on his life. All that I am is because of my mother. Um, and and yet he has this moment in in his young younger years when he's teenage, early 20s, where he's going awry. He's going in the wrong direction. And he could easily be Woodrow Wilson, but he doesn't. He makes a choice. I'm not going to let that fester in me. I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to be who I was born to be. And he becomes that man. That's the story of America. We have to stop ourselves right now and say, I don't want to be what we are now. And I don't want to become them. Wow. It's no, it's so well said. So many threads to kind of go from there. One thing that you said, though, you mentioned this famous quote where Lincoln said, quote, all that I am or ever will be in life, I owe to my angel mother. Uh, if I can get highly personal for a second, that's actually a quote that I have you know, put on Instagram, Facebook, social media with my own mother on Mother's Day. I've kind of tagged her in yes. those over the years. It's a beautiful sentiment. And one, of the and one of the reasons that I'm so proud of my mother, actually, is she's retiring just a couple of weeks after 22 or 23 years of really toiling labor as an elementary school teacher. And that kind of takes me to yeah. the final question I wanted to ask you in our, in our main time, Glenn, was that was one of the reasons, actually, on a personal note, that the Uvalde tragedy just hit home for me on such a deep level because, because sure. I was right there in elementary school with, you know, my mother as an elementary school teacher and whatnot. So look, I, I don't I don't need to tell you that America has a, a a problem when it comes to this spate of mass shootings, and I, I suspect that you and I are on the same page when it comes to the Second Amendment and guns and all of that. But what would you like to happen? What would you like to see happen as a result of what seems to be an escalating spate of of mass shootings in this country? Mass shootings are going to continue, and they're going to get worse until we return 
to what Rudyard Kipling called the gods of the copybook headings, the eternal truths that are always right. Men cannot have babies and be pregnant. Men cannot be. I know how to define a woman. Um, two plus two equals four. I don't care if you came up with an answer of five. I don't give a flying crap how you arrived at five. Two plus two equals four. And if we're in a society that says that number could be five, could be seven, could be three, I don't want to live in a house built by that society, drive a car, or God forbid, get into a rocket ship or an airplane. Until we return to the eternal truths that, uh, that are really outlined in the Ten Commandments, and we understand them, and we live them, and we know where our success comes from, we're going to see worse things than we saw in Uvalde. Right now, our kids are experiencing a time where we're experimenting on them. We, are, we just put them... Um, with uh, COVID, we put them in the house for two years. What happens? Suicide rate goes through the roof. What do we do? Open the border, get more fentanyl in. We're experimenting with them on social media. It's not just the, the culture that's being tested with social media. Our children are the first on the line. Yep. God help us. What are we going to see 20 years from now, the effects that we didn't know, or we would claim then that we didn't know. I think all of us know, hey, this isn't good that our kids are sitting next to each other, texting one another while they're sitting next to one another. Nothing is real. No one's held accountable. You're not having to work. You know, um, uh, if, if you do not work, you shall die. You, you, you have to repair all of the things that man has known for thousands of years. When that happens, we're going to see a decrease in these shootings. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, I didn't see anyone holding up the gun as the hero in Florida. Uh, no, uh, maybe it was St. Louis. I can't remember where it was, but it happened over the weekend. A woman a West, was West Virginia, a I think it was West Virginia at a graduation party, 40 people there. A gunman comes in. He's ready to shoot all of them. He shoots two cops, uh, disables them. She pulls a gun out of her purse, shoots him in the head. End of story. She saved 40 people. Now, if you believe the gun was the bad guy, if all 40 people were died, we have to get that gun up. Well, then let's hold this gun up. How come I'm not seeing MSNBC, you know, showing a picture of that hero gun all the time? We all know it's not the gun. It's what you choose to do with it. It's not that life sucks. It's what you choose to do with your life. And until we restore that, there isn't any reason to talk about everything else. And by the way, I will talk about gun control, but I want to talk to Hollywood first. Before I do anything, you think that guns are so horrible. In fact, they're worse than smoking. And you banned all smoking. Every time I watch something on Netflix, it drives me out of my mind when I see violence, sexual adult situations, 
and smoking. Oh my gosh. Uh, we can't let people see us smoke. Otherwise our kids will imitate us. Okay. All right. When Hollywood, when you come to the conclusion that guns are so bad that you will not allow a single gun, police, bad guy, anything, you will not allow a single gun to be used on screen, then we can sit down and talk. But the reason why you won't do it is because you know you'll go broke. We won't, we won't sacrifice our guns because we know we turn over our guns and we are slaves. Do something with your life. I think that obviously is, is a powerful takeaway from this entire podcast episode is do something with your life. Go to church, go to synagogue, ground yourself, and let's all fight for a better tomorrow. But Glenn Beck, you're a legend in this space and someone, oh. I, someone I think just extremely high of really. So thank you so much for joining us this thank week. You. That is very meaningful coming from you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you as well, Glenn. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, and thanks again to the great Glenn Beck for joining us this week. Glenn's been a form of inspiration for me over the years, so it was really great to get him on here to talk about everything happening in the world. And I kind of like that term that I came up with there, ecumenical theologian. That really is what Glenn Beck is, this movement, and the movement is much better for having him a part of it. But we want to take a moment here. You know, we're about four months into the show Thank you for being a part of this community. Thank you for subscribing to The Josh Hammer Show. As a friendly reminder, if you have not subscribed, go ahead and do so. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, please go ahead and subscribe. Leave your five-star rating, of course, and leave your candid feedback as well. But we hope that you are listening to this community because, like me, you understand the stakes. You understand that the way that it has been done for the past 20, 30 years in the American right really in the global right for that matter, is simply not sufficient to meet the challenges of the day, to meet the challenges of a revanchist, woke, progressive, insane, illiberal left, that something has to change. And that change and where we are going in the future, where we have to go to rise to the occasion to meet the challenges of wokeism and this current variant of Marxism, because that's really what it is, is a current variant of Marxism, that's what we're doing here each and every week. So thank you again for subscribing. We hope that you're enjoying the content and we will see you next time.